0: Amen. You may be seated. And I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Judges, the seventh book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. And I know you just uh, sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand up if you have ever heard a sermon from the book of Judges, okay? Stand up if you've ever heard a sermon from the book of Judges. Go ahead, don't be shy. Participation time. Okay. Now, those of you who are standing, I want you to sit down if the sermon was about Gideon, Deborah, or Samson. Okay? Okay, now I want you to sit down if you just got little parts of the book here and there, but you have not heard a whole sermon series from the first to the last chapter, okay? So if you're standing, you have heard a whole sermon series through the book of Judges, right? Good. So Adonis and Jeff, you're preaching next week. Good to know. You guys can take a seat. It's a very rare thing to hear a whole sermon series through the book of Judges. And my question is why? And I think you know the answer if you've read through this book. Maybe even some of you haven't read through the book. Maybe you read through it once and you thought, I don't understand what it's about. I don't really get the point of it being in the Bible. The Church in general has had that feeling it's a violent book it's a puzzling book it's a strange book it's a depressing book I've read this book for uh, an entire month the whole month of August leading up to preaching this uh, book, this sermon series. I read judges from the first chapter to the last chapter every day for an entire the entire month of August, and it is incredibly depressing there are very rare moments of, of light shining through, the whole thing is really bleak. And that's why the church, for centuries, has kind of had this sense of, you know what, if we, just, if we just stay in Ephesians, maybe judges will go away. Just keep reading an epistle, and maybe it'll just not, we won't have to interact with it. It's a strange book. It's a dark book, because these are the darkest days in Israel's history, And so we just kind of tend to ignore it. One thing that you can't do with the book of Judges, though, is read it and find it boring. Um, Many people say, I I don't read the Bible because it's boring. It's a boring book. My next question is, have you read Judges? Because this book is amazing. Uh, One commentator says, only people who take tranquilizers before sitting down can doze off while they read Judges. This book is so amazing. Uh, There are things in this book that make us cringe. There's things in this book that I believe were designed to make us laugh um, and to cry. There's things in this book that are incredibly sad. Uh, Joshua, the the book right before Judges, is a beautiful book of victory. Uh, Other than the one defeat in Ai, it's just a book of victory. And then Judges is just a book of defeat. It's kind of like is the best of times You the worst of times? Best of times is in Joshua. Worst of times is in Judges. All in all, the book of Judges is a picture of what happens when a nation abandons God, but God does not abandon his people. Judges is a book about what happens when a nation abandons their God, but God refuses to abandon his people. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to just set up the entire book. I want to read what I believe is the thesis statement in this book. It's Judges chapter 2 verse 6 to three, chapter 3 verse 6. So we'll read this. It's a lengthy chunk of scripture, but we'll read it because I think it's kind of the thesis for the whole book. Gets us on a trajectory. And then what I want to do this morning, something a little bit different. We're not going to really dive in too much to Judges yet. We're going to save Judges chapter 1 to next week. But I want to ask the question, why study this book at all? If you've had classes where you're about to study some form of an ology, usually they begin the class with a prolegomena, right? You get a prolegomena into why should I be even here? Why should I be even studying this? And so this is our introduction. This is the why this is important for us to study, because I believe it's absolutely important for us. So, Judges chapter 2, verse 6, all the way down to chapter 3, verse 6. Let's read this together, and then we will ask God's blessing on our time when Joshua had dismissed the people the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for in Israel then Joshua the son of Nun the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and the Asherah. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken, and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he said to them, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and had not listened to my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, in order that the generations of those sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formerly. These are the nations, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites, who lived in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal-Hermon, as far as Labo-Hamath. They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel also lived among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives. And gave their own daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. Father, these words are uh, bleak. They are a picture not only of Israel and their sin, but they're a picture of, of us and our sin. God, you're, you're going to do something in our church through this sermon series. And I pray that you would, above all things, show us Christ to be more desirable than any of these foreign nations that are in our midst. That we would not be like Israel, who we see being canonized by the world. So may Jesus become more precious to us than ever before. But God, may you do many things in our church. Not just show us Christ, but show us ourselves. Show us our sin, God, may our church hate sin. May we hate compromise. May we hate these so-called respectable sins that aren't the big heavy hitter sins in the Bible. We call them mistakes. We call them slip-ups. God, may we hate that for which Jesus died. God, I pray that you would teach us how amazing your glory is that we just sang about. What an amazing love this is. What an amazing mystery that your grace would come to us. We are undeserving. We are just like Israel, stuck in sin, and you graciously deliver. And so I pray that we would not be like Israel, who is delivered by your hand and turns yet again, over and over and over. May by your Spirit you enable us to turn to righteousness and not sin. So God, open our eyes. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your life. Even this morning as we do a quick overview of this book and why we are studying it. May it bring you glory and may it, may it just wet our appetite for what you're going to do in our midst over the course of this semester. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Why study... Judges. I believe that this book will have a profound impact on our lives if we have ears to hear. So why study this book? You just saw a thesis, a snapshot of what happens in this book. Why go through this entire book? Why not just preach Judges 2 verse 6 to 3 verse 6 and have it one sermon be done? I want to give you seven reasons, okay? Seven reasons. We'll go through them rather quickly, but seven reasons why we are going to study this book and the first one is the most obvious we are going to study judges because judges is god's word judges is god's word we're going to study this book because it's god's word judges still fits all of those three eyes of god's word judges is inspired by god it is inerrant because god speaks and he has no errors in what he says and it's infallible because it won't fail us and it won't fail itself Judges is God's Word. And if you grew up in the church, one of the first books that you may have heard from is actually this book, because there's so many amazing characters, amazing stories. Most of them are highly edited, and rightfully so, and uh, we're going to do that even uh, to be appropriate in these settings with some of these stories. But Children's Church is filled with stories from the book of Judges. Wonderful flannel graph stories for children. I shared that, by the way, in one of my classes, one of my 10th grade classes, I said, you know the flannel graph stories with um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they, we've lost, uh, this generation knows nothing of flannel graphs, which is so depressing, so. <laughs> Samson, Gideon, Deborah, there's so many different flannel graph stories for kids, and there are more in this book that didn't make the flannel graphs, but these aren't just stories, This is God's account of 350 years between the death of Joshua and the beginning of the monarchy in Israel. These these are the days where Israel had no king, and it records God's faithfulness when their leader died and they had no other leader, and God's the one who's going to lead them by raising up people to lead them. It's God's holy word. Therefore, it holds those promises that we cling to. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, all scripture, even the book of Judges, is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The book of Judges is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that we would be equipped for every good work. There is something we would be missing. There is something we would be lacking if we didn't study this book. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's another verse that Paul tells us we should listen to this book uh, of Judges. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he has just recounted uh, the disobedience of Moses and the wandering of the people in the wilderness. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, now these things happened. As an example for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. That we wouldn't be idolaters. Judges fulfills this statement by Paul. The things that we read in Judges are an example to us that we wouldn't crave the things that they craved. Judges will be an unmasking of sin to show us that sin is serious, it's deadly, and it's not to be desired. Turn to Romans chapter 15, just a couple of pages over in your Bible. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says it this way whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So, Judges was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So, Judges was written for our instruction to give us perseverance in the fight against sin, to give us encouragement in the Scriptures and to give us hope. To give us hope. I just finished a biography on a man named John Rogers. He was the first Protestant martyr of Mary Tudor's reign. He died in 1555 by being burned at the stake. And the main reason that he was burned at the stake, well, the main reason he was burned at the stake was he would not submit to the Pope. But the second main reason that he was burned at the stake was because he wanted to get the scriptures into the hands of all the people. You guys know the name William Tyndale. William Tyndale was killed for trying to get... The the word of God to every single person in the hands of every single person in their common language. And he was burned for doing that. John Rogers helped William Tyndale. He actually furthered what William Tyndale did because he was killed before uh, John Rogers was killed. So John Rogers took what William Tyndale did and he helped make it what we have today. He was helpful in giving us this book. People died so that we can have the book of Judges. So I think we should study it together because it is God's word. Number two. We're going to study Judges because we need to learn how to interpret narratives. We need to learn how to interpret narratives. We study the book of Judges not only because it's God's Word, but because we need to learn how to interpret narratives, stories. So many times when I ask people why they don't like reading the Bible, some people say it's boring. And the second thing that people usually tell me is it's not really applicable to my life. If you go to, this is why we love imperatives. This is why we love epistles where it says, do this. Then we know, okay, I'm supposed to do that. Don't do this. Okay, cool. I know I'm not supposed to do that. But if you, a desperate Christian, say, God, please tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. I want to know what your will is for my life. I want to hear from you. Direct me this morning as I open your word, as I dive in, as I plead with you in devotions, please guide me, please direct me. And in desperation, you open the word of God and you read about somebody drinking warm milk and having a tent peg stuck into their temple and killed. You go, how is that supposed to help me? How in the world is that helpful to me? And you go, okay, fine. We'll give the Bible another shot. And then you read, keep on reading. You read about... uh, A guy who is really small and picks up a sling and throws rocks at a tall man. And he goes down and he cuts off his head. And you go, okay, great, that's great, but what am I supposed to do? Is the application here, find somebody taller than me and kill them? What's the application for my life? So many people have such a hard time reading a story and figuring out what you're supposed to do from it. I think the reason why many people don't like reading the Bible is because the Bible is filled with stories, mainly implication-oriented passages, not application-oriented. Application, go do this, Ten Commandments, Epistles, just do this. But the majority of the Bible is not application-oriented. The majority of the Bible is just a story, and you have to search for implications inside of it. We're doing that even in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is not imperatives. You read a story and you have to figure out based off of this story, what is God calling me to be? Who is God? What is he calling me to do? And if we don't read rightly, if we don't read stories rightly, we won't interpret correctly. And if we don't interpret the Bible correctly, we will apply the Bible incorrectly. So I want to go through a book that gives us stories and ask, what are we supposed to do based off of these stories? What are we supposed to learn? How are we to read stories? Scripture must properly be interpreted to be Scripture. This is why cults exist, because they take the Scriptures, they misinterpret the Scriptures, the Bibles that you and I have, and they twist them and they make them say something that they were never intended to mean, and therefore it's no longer Scripture. So the book of Judges is going to be a case study for us in how to interpret and apply narratives, specifically Old Testament narratives, but narratives in general. This book will help us interpret Old Testament narratives rightly, so that we're not reading the story of David and Goliath and thinking, okay, five smooth stones. These are five principles for the way in which I am to destroy the giants in my life of difficulty. And I do it through patience. I do it through gentleness. No, that's not, that's not what God meant. I always ask the question, what would the author think about what I think about what the author thinks? So as I'm reading First Samuel, and I read this story, and Samuel has written down this account, if Samuel were standing over my shoulder and I say, okay, the five smooth stones, that smooth means that the water has gone over it, and so therefore it's made it really nice and smooth, and the water of God's suffering in our lives will make us smooth and useful to fly from the... Sl-. I think Samuel would go, that's really sweet and really cute, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> it's just a stone put into a sling to kill a giant and there's a deeper implication for us. So we need to make sure we're not going to read Samson sticking his hands between the two pillars and we go okay we got the pillar of injustice over here we got the pillar of something else dumb that I'll make up on the spot. We, you know <laughs> n- none of that. We're not going to do that. We're going to let the word of God rightly interpret itself. We don't want to just make everything a type be mystical Find hidden meaning. It's there for us. We don't need to do that. So God wrote judges for our instruction, for our benefit, for examples for us. But we're going to be careful because the Bible is not behavior modification oriented. Though there are examples in this book, it's not a book of virtues. The Bible is not a book of virtues. This is what sets the Bible apart from every other religious book. Every other religious book is a book of virtues. The Bible's a story. It's not a book of virtues. In fact, if you believe that the Bible is a book of virtues, Judges is going to confuse you because you're going to be constantly going, where's the virtue? What am I supposed to do? We tend to moralize everything and just quickly leave. I think we do this well-intentioned. We do this for our kids because we want to kind of simplify it down and teach our kids. This is the the foundation of VeggieTales. The foundation of VeggieTales was simplify this down to some moral quality that we can teach our kids. Now, that's not wrong. It's just not the whole picture. It's not the whole picture. The Bible isn't man-centered. The Bible is God-centered. There's only one hero. Even the good things that other people do in this book, they do it because God's the hero enabling them to do it. This book is revelation from God about God first and foremost. So, We're totally going to see moral things that we should and shouldn't do. But we're going to do that a far second, a far third. have to be careful when you're studying stories, we call it the killer bees. Be this, be that, don't do this, don't do that. You have to be careful of that. If that's the first place you go, you're just reading the Bible as a book of virtues. So we can't do that. We're going to go there, but you can't do that right off the bat. So we are going to study Judges because Judges, number one, is God's Word. Number two, because we need to learn how to interpret narratives. And hopefully as we study Mark and study Judges, this will help us and encourage us. Maybe maybe we'll go somewhere a lot more simple after Judges, where we'll get something that's a little bit uh, more easy to swallow, like maybe Revelation. That's easy to swallow. Um, Number three, we need to study Judges because sin is a slippery slope. We need to study this book because sin is a slippery slope. Judges is a book about compromise. Judges is a book about compromise. We read in chapter 2, verse 6, all the way through chapter 3, verse 6, we see the five-fold cycle that continues. Um, Judges, most study Bibles, will talk about this in their introduction, Judges is a cyclical book. It's a constant cycle. If you want S's, here is the cycle of judges. You have sin, the people sin. Then you have servitude. The people are, because of their sin, punished, judged, placed into bondage and captivity. They become servants of a pagan people group. Supplication is number three. They cry out to the Lord. They plead with God. Um, In verse 18 of chapter 2, the Lord is moved to pity because of their groaning. By the way, groaning, and we'll see this constantly in this book, groaning is not a sorrow of repentance. It's just, I'm really sad that I'm in this mess that I made. I need help. And it's very interesting because that word groaning is not attributed in the book of Judges to real repentance. It's not weeping over your sin that leads to real repentance. It's just, I really don't like the circumstances I'm in. God knows that. And if I'm God and somebody does something wrong that leads them into a terrible consequence, I say, no, you have to sleep in the bed you made. You have to deal with the consequences that you are dealing with. You have to do that. I'm not going to rescue you from that. I told you this was going to happen, and you're getting what you deserve. And guys, that's why the book of Judges is so amazing. And that's why you're glad I'm not God. Because God says, I hear your groaning that I know is not going to lead to repentance, but I still have pity on you. I'm still moved to compassion, and I'm still going to bring you out. He's a rescuer. So sin, servitude, supplication, Savior, that's the fourth S. He saves his people. He brings in a Savior. He himself is the Savior and gives a judge to deliver them and then the last s is silence this closes out the cycle uh, there's silence everybody's happy there's peace in the land there's rest in the land and then you give it enough time and it goes back to sin servitude supplication savior silence it's just constantly that way if you want ours rebellion retribution repentance restoration and rest but judges are raised up by god and when you think of judge typically we think of you know the black robe and a gavel that's not what this word is. You could just put in there, deliverer. Judges, uh, the title of the book is just deliverers. Deliverers. And that should be, right off the bat, a helpful understanding of what this book is supposed to point to. It's supposed to point us to the true deliverer, the better deliverer, the best deliverer. Even in the book itself, there are 12 judges. starts off with Othniel, and it ends with Samson and these 12 judges get progressively worse. Othniel starts off okay, and it just goes downhill with every single judge, worse and worse and worse and worse until you get to Samson. And it's just this cycle of going down. The judges themselves are lined up in this way to show us this cycle downward, this cycle of sin, the cycle of compromise, We need to study this book because sin is that slippery slope. Even in the deliverers that God chooses to raise up to deliver his people, they get progressively worse. Sin is not to be trifled with in God's people. We can't play with sin. This book tells us that God's people will suffer greatly because of compromise. This book teaches us exactly what we studied with King Asa last week. Compromise always leads to more compromise. Compromise always leads to more compromise. That's why I I encouraged us last week, don't let one bad decision become another bad decision. Stop right there, repent right now, and turn. The book of Judges teaches us that God wants lordship over every area of our lives, not just some. I want lordship over all, God says. And it teaches us that the sin in our lives that we fail to conquer will eventually conquer us. If we fail to conquer sin, if we're not gonna deal with our sin biblically, it will conquer us. One writer says it this way, whatever controls us really is our God. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. Therefore, the Christian life is not to be a playground. It's to be a battleground. And the book of Judges teaches us that. So we're gonna study this book because it's God's word, because we need to learn how to interpret narratives Because, number three, sin is a slippery slope. And because, number four, evil days are instructive. Evil days are instructive. We're going to study this book because evil days are instructive. Judges is a story that is filled with the world's corruption. And we live in these days. Corrupt days. In Judges, just a little example, a little sampling. In Judges, we see what happens when men and women's roles are perverted and reversed. We see what happens when marriage is attacked and corrupted. We see what happens when God's word is muted by the society. The culture in this book is a culture just like ours. Evil days are instructive. This book, as one commentator frequently says, is the the canonization of God's people. Canaan was the evil pagan nation that owned all of Israel, that Israel is supposed to go in, the people of Israel is supposed to go in and get all of them out. They failed to do that, and since they left little pockets of Canaanite people, instead of Israel helping to reform the Canaanites, the Canaanites turned against the people's hearts, and Israel looked more like pagan countries. This book is about the Canaanization of God's people, or the influence of the world. This book shows us the cultural effects of sin. That's why 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, John pleads with us, don't love the world. And this book is going to teach us not to love the world. Don't do it. Don't love the world. Have you ever started a a book at the end? Maybe you read the introduction, then you just go to the end. You want to know how it's going to finish. That's like really bad. Don't do that because that's, that's so sad. That's not what the author had in mind, just to spoil the ending. I always feel bad for authors. We should have the golden rule with authors, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, well, they, they they wrote it in a sequence, so don't do that. But here in Judges, you're welcome to do that. You're encouraged to read the ending of the book before you start it. And the ending, the last verse in this book, is everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Not governed by God, not governed by a king, not governed by anybody, but my own authority. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's exactly what our era could be characterized by. Everyone is doing that which is right in their own eyes. Whatever seems right to you, go ahead and do it. And isn't that like the definition of postmodernism? Just you're your own authority. There's no absolutes. You make the absolutes. So I want to study this book because I want when you hear somebody say, oh, the world has never been this bad. This is the worst the world's ever been. I want you in your heart to be able to say, maybe not. It's been worse before. God's still on his throne, and he'll take care of us. I want you to be secure. Yes, these days are terrible that we're living in. But as we see in Judges, evil days are instructive to see God's hand at work in his glory. That leads us to number five. We study Judges not only because evil days are instructive, but number five, we study judges because judgment is valuable. Judgment is valuable. We're going to read of judgment happening constantly over and over and over again. Let me just give you a couple verses that you can look up on your own time. We don't have time, but Proverbs chapter 3 verse 12, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 12 Solomon describes that if you love your children, you're going to discipline them. And then that It's going to be quoted in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, by the author of Hebrews to say, God is going to discipline the people that are his, that he loves. He's going to judge them through discipline. He's going to correct them. And judgment is valuable to see. In fact, Proverbs 13, verse 24, Solomon says, if you don't judge, if you don't discipline your kids, you don't love your kids. If you keep discipline from your children, you actually don't even love them. So, we're going to see God's love through his judgment. Those whom God loves, he disciplines. And this book, as we study it, is going to help us to learn how to hear, feel, and respond to the discipline of our God. Number six, we study this book. We will be studying this book because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. We're going to see God's sovereignty on display time and time again. He's the one who allows. He's the one who ordains. He's the one who picks the people group that's going to come in and be uh, the judgment over his people. And then he's going to pick the, the deliverer to judge those people and get them out. He's over it all. He plans everything. He's always with his people. Every conspiracy against him will fail. God's in charge no matter what it looks like. And one commentator says it this way. I love this statement. The mills of God may grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. It might take a long time for anything to happen, but as God in, in his sovereignty is working those mills, he's working them out, and they, they are perfectly doing the job that God wants them to do. So be patient. Wait, because in God's sovereignty, it's going to do exactly what he wants to do which if you are his, it's going to bring him glory and bring you good. And finally, number seven. So here are the seven. God, well, we're, going to, we're going to study this book because it's God's word. We're going to study, number two, this book, because we need to learn how to interpret narratives. Number three, we're going to study it because sin is a slippery slope. Number four, we're going to study because evil days are instructive. Number five, because judgment is valuable. Number six, because God is sovereign. And number seven, because salvation is great. This is the last point. Salvation is is great. If we see evil days, if we see the slippery slope of sin, if we see the judgment of God, and if we see his hand in all things, it must lead us to number seven, which is salvation is great. God continually throughout this book steps into the worst of circumstances to save a people that are completely undeserving of his salvation. He steps in to save people, not because they're good, not because they've merited anything. He steps in because he's a loving God. We're going to see the greatness of salvation on display because we're going to see it against a very dark, bleak backdrop of sin, depravity, and absolutely no merit in ourselves. If we think we can get to God on our own goodness, we're going to see in this book, we are way worse than we thought we were. But we're going to see a a Savior who is way more amazing, way more incredible than we thought He was. God relentlessly offers His grace to people who do not deserve it. Sometimes they don't even seek it. And many times they don't even appreciate it once they've been saved. And yet he still saves them. Salvation is great. God's grace is going to triumph in this book time and time again over the dumbest actions of men. This is so incredibly encouraging to us. Because if you think you are beyond the grace of God and you read how God saves these people you're going to realize, oh, God can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. If we still have breath, then we're not beyond saving. We're going to see that there was no king in Israel. God was king. Salvation from our problems isn't king. Salvation from our struggles isn't king. Jesus is the King, and He's going to work in such a way to bring about great salvation. So, starting next week, we're going to dive into this book together in chapter 1 and study it. We'll take it in big chunks, um, but I pray that we will see God's mercy and grace on display. He's the hero, and we're going to see that. J.C. Ryle says it this way, It takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. So we're going to study this Bible so that we would be made whole and see the power and mercy and kindness of our God. Father, we thank you so much for our morning together as we dive into the promises of your word. That's what we're going to cling to this uh, semester. We're going to cling to the promises that we studied at the very beginning of our time together, that your word is instructive to give us perseverance, to give us hope, to give us encouragement, and to be an example for us specifically to not chase after idols. And God, that is our confession this day. We don't even need to go into the book of Judges to realize we are uh, idol factories, as John Calvin says. Our hearts are idol factories. We we love, we, we are worshipers, we are lovers. We want to be satisfied. Every single one of us is chasing down satisfaction. And so we will try and find anything that can satisfy our souls. We're going to see a number of those things even in the book of Judges that the people of Israel tried to be satisfied by and were ultimately let down by. So give us wisdom to see and unmask what sin truly is, what it truly does to us. That we would not have to walk through it and learn from it to say experientially, I should never have done that. God, give us wisdom to be able to see what your word says and be able to gladly say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And God, give us hope. The hope that we're to be given in the book of Judges is that even in our struggle, even in the worst moments of our life, you hear us, you love us, you are compassionate towards us, and and you jump into the worst of circumstances to give us salvation. It's exactly what you did 2,000 years ago by sending your son in the worst of circumstances as a lowly, humble child to live inside of these evil days, living out our perfect righteousness and dying on the cross, taking our sinful lives, our sinful records upon himself, being punished in our place, rising from the dead, conquering sin and death and offering us mercy, forgiveness, pardon and a right relationship with the God of the universe. So we gather together every Sunday to see the the hero, the only hero of the Bible. And that is you, our amazing God. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.